0: Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, munciefirstchurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. Well, good morning, church. Thank you. Glad you're here this morning. We're gonna continue in this series we've been in the last couple weeks. Uh actually, not counting Easter. I think we're at a total of four weeks so far. We got two left. We're in that final leg. We kind of broke it up into a little mini-series. We talked about marriage the first two weeks, and you kind of got like a bonus marriage that third week. It was kind of like how marriage affects parenting and so we talked about parenting and then we had you know we had the easter and then we we had parenting again last week and and this week we're going to talk about students and typically in the church when we say students we mean 6th grade to, to, to a senior in high school, so from 6th to 12th grade. That's typically what we, we mean when we say that in the church. We, we, you know, we talk about children's ministry, but then we say students, and that's kind of who we're referring to. But the unique thing, um, some of you may not know this. I did not know this coming to the Nazarene Church. I had never heard this before in my life. Um, the Nazarene Church has a designation called NYI, which means we, lo- we love our acronyms. In, in the Nazarene church, it's like you cannot, I think it's in the membership class. You have to be in love with acronyms. Um, it means Nazarene Youth International. And what they what they classify as that is anyone zero to 40. So if you're 40 or younger this morning, you're a young person. Yeah, yeah, amen, yeah, right? Sorry if you're older than that, I'm sorry. You, you, you don't make the cut. Sorry. Uh, but so this morning, as I talk, if I say young people, that's what I mean. That's what I'm going to be referring to. I feel like I want to clarify that up front, that I mean anyone zero to 40. And those of you who kind of fall on that edge that are still young in spirit will we'll include you too, you know. But typically, that's what we mean. And if I say students, I mean sixth grade to, to, to 12th grade. And so what we've been saying in this series all along is simply the, the, the theme, the concept, family breakdown is simply this. If you want to break down in the area of family, there are just some certain things you should do. You know, if you want to break down, just keep doing certain things, kind of like a car. If you want to break down in your car, we all know, just don't change the oil, right? Just don't ever change that oil. Uh, don't ever take it in for regular maintenance and tune up. And, and, and if when you get gas, pour Mountain Dew in instead you know, right? That's that's a guarantee uh, that you're going to break down, you know, or or I heard someone tell a story once around here that they had a diesel car and they put regular gas in it, you know, that'll pretty much guarantee you're going to end up stranded somewhere, you know, so so do that if you want to break down. But if you don't want to break down, there are some things you should avoid. There's some things that we should avoid and there's some things that we should do to uh, uh, foster that kind of uh, avoidance of breakdown in our families. And so specifically this morning, we're going to talk about what that means in relation to young people. And so the title of my message this morning is why I believe we should invest in young people. Um, I wanted to call it three ways to break down with, with young people, but I was getting a little negative and getting a little harsh. And so I was like, all right, we're going to have to re reestablish, rewrite, and kind of mix this up. But I just want to be honest this morning and say, this was kind of a challenging sermon to write you know, it's, it's hard to talk about this a little bit. It's not hard to talk about, but it's hard to not get frustrated when I talk about it. And so I'm like trying to keep myself in a real positive mindset. And the reason being is that I'm super passionate about young people. I think kind of being a young person makes that happen a little bit, but, but part of that too is, is that I've been in, involved in, in youth ministry and, and, and ministering to young people for a while now. And, and I just, I, I love to see young people come to know Jesus I love that. What about what about you guys? I mean, it, it's awesome, especially, especially children. I mean, it's 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 really incredible when you see a, a child come to know Jesus because I'm of the belief that if they learn then, they, they won't maybe make some of the mistakes that many of us have made later on in life. And so I'm passionate about this. And I've and I've watched over the years of being in ministry and being in church world, I've watched so many leaders and so many churches that say, Student ministry and children's ministry and young people are the most important thing in our church. But they don't give a dime to those ministries. Now, that's not true here. I just want you to know that's not true here. That's not true of this church. And so many of you give and invest in young people in a huge way. But it's true in a lot of churches in our world. They say it with their mouths, but they don't invest at all. In fact, uh, I recently worked with Nathan. And I pointed out as we were working together, if you don't know what Nathan does outside of being awesome up here on Sunday morning, he, he engraves on headstones. And it's amazing to me how many churches have cemeteries. And I asked, like, is this pretty common? He's like, yeah, real, real common. Why? Why do we give in the church money to dead people? They don't need money. You know, and that's true. That's, that's a common theme among churches is that they'll have cemeteries. And those funds are full, full but it's typically those churches that aren't investing in young people. And I don't want that to be the case for our church. And so this morning, I want to just share a message with you briefly briefly of why I believe we should invest in young people. And I want to answer that question right out of the gate. I'm going to give you two reasons here. If you'd like to take notes, you can write these down. Um, we're going to hit the, fir- the second one first, and then we'll come back to the first one. But the first reason is this, because Jesus did it. Jesus and Paul, I believe, in the scriptures, we see Jesus and Paul investing in young people. And so for that reason, I think that we should invest in young people. And so that's the first reason. The second reason is this. Someone invested in me. Someone invested in me. And I bet, we're not going to do this, but I bet if we went around the room and asked, many of you could say the same thing. You could say, someone invested in me. Now, it may not have been when you were young, and maybe you, as a result, you kind of wish that someone would have been there to invest in you when you were younger. Maybe it was later in life, in your early adulthood, or maybe it was much, much later, and someone, but I bet we could go around the room and say, someone somewhere along the way invested in me. They invested in you. They made a difference in your life. They said something or they or they came into your life at a point where they they got you to not do something that you were about to do. You're about to do something really dumb. And they said, hey, that's dumb. Don't do that. Right. You know, and, and that that's that that's that moment where they they saved us maybe from a life changing decision that could have been really bad. We, I think many of us could have that story. Not all of us, but many of us probably have that story. I think if that isn't your story, being a part of this community, being around here, that will eventually be a part of your story. Because I think many other people here are really good about kind of, and, and don't take this, this is not a negative thing, we meddle in each other's lives. You know, right? We, we see it on Facebook and we're like, oh man, you know, Jim's about to do something really dumb. I should call him and text him and let him know, hey, don't do that. You know, or, or we should tell him, hey, stop posting that stuff on Facebook. You no, know, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Jim's not going to do anything dumb. Because Kirsten won't let him. But we need that in our lives. And so I want to briefly just share with you this morning kind of my story of how someone had invested in me. And I, I feel like I've never shared this on a Sunday morning. I know I've shared my testimony a little bit, but, uh, we, and we did it in a men's breakfast. But I want to share this morning kind of my story of how people invested in, in my life. And uh, for those of that don't know, I didn't grow up in the church. Some of you may be like, "Yeah, I could see that." Um, you know, I, I didn't grow up. I didn't grow up in the church. Uh, my parents divorced when I was probably, I think, about three-ish. I'm not real sure. There's conflicting stories. You know, um, I'm not real sure. Somewhere around that time in my life, and I, I grew up living with my mom. And the environment that we lived in was was not a great environment. A um, lot of, lot of crazy stuff going on. We we witnessed things as kids living with my mom that we should have never witnessed. I mean, it, it just. It's crazy to think the the things that we saw and that went on. I would never want my kids to experience that. Never, I wouldn't want any kid to experience that. And it wasn't it wasn't even really that bad of a home. Like to me, I mean, to me that was just normal. But I'll tell Allison things, and she's like, "Babe, that's not normal. Like, no, that's not normal. That's not right. That's that's not you. Your mom should have never done that." And I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, that's that's all I knew. You know, that's all I knew." And so, and we grew up in an environment that was, in many ways, fueled by drug abuse, alcohol abuse violence, I mean, fighting, just constant, even, even at one point, a lot of verbal abuse in the home, and that was, that was what we experienced all the time. Um, I remember I, I tried my first cigarette at four years old, not because I was like, man, I need a pack, man, I need to smoke, you know, it was not, it was just curiosity. I saw somebody else do it, I was like, that seems cool, let's do that, let's try that. Got caught because I couldn't figure out how to light the lighter. I was hiding behind the reclining chair, and my mom could hear the flick You know, it's not strong enough at four years old to hold that lighter down. You know, you just can't. It's like, could you light this for me? No, you know, I, I, four years old. I was at nine years old. I tried my first sip of beer. Again, not because I was like, man, I really could use a beer right now. It was because there was nothing else to drink where we were. And they're like, here, have this. And then at 12 and 13 years old, I remember my mom specifically telling me it's okay to have sex. Just don't get anybody pregnant. And it was okay to look at pornography because, well, that's just what guys do. We look at pornography. It's okay. And that was the advice given to me at 12 and 13 years old. I, I, I put it into realization for me is that my daughter Lila is seven years old. She'll be 12 in five years. I can't imagine telling her at 12 years old, just have sex. It's okay. Just don't get pregnant. Don't make me a grandpa, you know, at 37. Or whatever I'll be, you know, at that point. I mean, come on. Like, why would you tell your kid that? But that's what we that's what we had. We didn't have a lot of rules. That's kind of how we grew up. And I remember when I got saved, I got saved around eighth grade. And I got saved at a little tiny church over by Upland off of Highway Five, a little United Methodist Church. It was where my aunt and uncle went. And I started playing in this worship band and and I didn't even know what a worship band was, but I played guitar, and they're like, "We need a guitar player. You come and play." And I was playing. It was the only band I knew around that had a gig every week, so I was like, "Let's do it." You know, this band I'm in right now, they don't got no gigs. We just practice in a bedroom. You got a gig? Let's do it. And so we played every Thursday night for this little, this youth group. A little country church had almost 80 kids in their youth group. They were coming in from all over the place. It was crazy, and it was because. Of that band that we played in they loved the music and they were coming for that and and they were getting to know Jesus and one week you know I'm there and then the next week I'm at the altar praying to give my life to Jesus and it was amazing it was it was life-altering that moment but the crazy thing is is a lot of my past followed me because now all the things that I grew up learning and thinking okay this is okay it's okay to you know have sex or look at pornography or drink or whatever and now I'm learning no it's not okay and that's not normal And it was really challenging i spent a lot of years kind of walking the fence of both sides trying to figure out all the way up into college even trying to figure out okay god i don't know what's right and wrong here you know i I don't know and i think that's probably the story for a lot of us is is that we're just trying to figure it out trying to kind of on the path on the journey trying to figure out okay god what do you want from me and and that was my story and then when i was 16 I, i i kind of decided i would run from god and I and I got into drugs and got into drinking and, and basically doing all the things that I grew up thinking was just okay. And then, the, but the interesting thing though was is that God put people in my life. I was called into ministry at fifteen. And I was running from God at sixteen. And, and, and I know it sounds crazy to think that somebody that young would experience that kind of life, but I had done all the things that most people do in their early 20s before I was 13. And so to me, it was just normal. And then becoming a Christian, it was like, oh, no, that's not right. And God knew what he was doing. He put people in my life that invested in me and helped me stay on the path. He put people in my life like a guy by the name of John Hinton. Now, none of you know John Hinton, I assume. One of you do. Doug does. Because Doug was in our youth group growing up. And he remembers John. And John, I remember John let me lead a youth trip. I was a freshman in high school, and he couldn't go on this trip. He was taking the junior high students on. And he said, we'll put Ian in charge. What? But John... Heard from God that Ian was called into youth ministry before Ian knew Ian was called into youth ministry. And so John put me in charge. And I remember he had to... This is how it had to have gone down. At least this is what I think in my head. He said, Ian, I'm going to put you in charge. You're going to lead the junior highs on this trip. I can't go. I couldn't even drive the van. I wasn't even old enough to drive. So he sent some adults with us to drive. And I bet you he was telling the adults, let's just let him think he's in charge. All right? It's a learning opportunity. Let's just let him think he's in charge. And they put me in charge and he invested in me he let me lead before I knew even what that means and then came along a guy by the name of Shad and Shad he helped invest in me by letting me lead worship he put me in charge of our youth worship band and got me involved in Sunday morning on the worship team and he said here you you can you can lead the worship and I'm like I don't even know how to sing I can't sing. He's like, that's all right. You don't need to sing to lead. Just just be in charge. Lead the practices. Lead us through the process of worship. And he let me learn how to lead worship long before I was really ready to ever lead worship. And I think because he invested in me, it kept me focused. It kept me staying on the path. And then came along a guy by the name of Tom Fett. Now, some of you actually might know Tom. Tom is the senior pastor at Dunkirk Nazarene Church. And we've been praying for him. He's been on our prayer list. If you look at the prayer list, he's going through a really tough time right now with some family issues and health issues for his grandson. We've been praying for him. But Tom came into my life at a really awkward time. Right when I was messing up and doing all the bad stuff, that's when Tom came into my life. And and he had to kick me off the worship team. And he wouldn't let me play on Sunday morning. And I was so mad at him and so angry. and, and, And my parents were even mad and we didn't understand. But he loved me through that difficult time and he supported me. And he invested in me. He said, you're not going to make these kind of decisions and then be allowed to come in here on Sunday morning and pretend like it's all okay. You need to understand the consequences for your actions. And so he loved me through that experience. And Tom is one of my greatest supporters even to this day. If Tom were here right now, he would tell you that I am the greatest musician that has ever lived and the best pastor that's ever walked the earth. I mean, there is Jesus, maybe Paul, maybe, and then me. Telling you. And that's that's how he makes me feel every time I hear him talk. Allison can verify. I mean, he literally thinks I am like the greatest thing ever. And I hope that some of you do too. No. <laughs> we need to have him come here and speak about that. No. But I mean, he invested in me. And then lastly, I'll share about one more. A guy by the name of Josh. Josh Wiesner became one of my absolute best friends. He was our youth pastor when I was a senior in high school. And Josh, um, Spent so much time with me, he actually got in trouble by our senior pastor. He's like, you're spending too much time with Ian. He lived at our house. I mean, nearly set our house on fire. You know, he's cooking Pop-Tarts and the toaster caught on fire and he about caught the house on fire. But he spent so much time with me that I couldn't get in trouble. (laughs) I couldn't go off the path because he wouldn't let me. He was always around and he was always there in my ear, guiding me and pushing me in the right direction. And he's been one of my best friends ever since. He was, you know, in our wedding and, and, and just he's always been there because he took time and effort. All these guys, they they invested time and many of them money and resources and energy to invest in me. And I bet that that's the story for some of you. There are some people in your life that they invested in you. And I think we see this happening in the scriptures. And that's what I want to look at this morning. If you want to turn with me, you can turn to Second Timothy chapter three. We're going to look at this in just a minute. Um, As you get there, I want to point out a couple of things. We see this in scripture in a couple of ways. We see Jesus, I think, investing in young people. When he calls the 12 disciples and he says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I think that's him investing in young people. Many scholars believe that the 12 disciples were 18 years and younger, some of them younger than 15 years old. And so that's the demographic that we would consider to be student ministry in this day. So Jesus went on this journey with a bunch of students to travel around the world, uh, the world that he knew of that day, anyways, and, and, and spread the gospel message. Can you imagine going on that long, a three-year trip with a bunch of teenagers? Some of you have not been on a trip with teenagers, otherwise you'd have laughed pretty good about that, because that's three years, three days, you're like when do we go home sorry guys just saying you get you don't want to be around me for more than three days I understand and I get it but he he spent time investing in him and as Mark pointed out I think it was last week in his sermon last week he even talked about how Jesus had his love and and care for children which was unheard of in that day in that day people didn't care about children and Jesus came along and said, "We should we should love them, and we should care about them, and we should value them because they are important." And then we see a guy by the name of Paul. Most of us, if you've been in the church for any length of time, you're you're probably familiar with the Apostle Paul. And maybe even if you haven't been in church, you you might have heard that name. But but the Apostle Paul comes on the scene and he invests in a guy by the name of Timothy. Now Timothy was this young leader, and and I didn't know this until studying for this message. But Timothy, uh, through Paul's leadership, became one of what we would consider today a megachurch pastor. He, he pastored one of the largest churches in the known world at that, at that time. And I think it was in part because of the investment of Paul. And Timothy had not just Paul investing in him, but his grandmother and his mother as well. And that's what I want to look at this morning. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 11 says this. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Now I want to stop and point out something here that know all about. If you underline in your Bible, I think this would be a good place to do it. That know all about is, is really unique. It's, it's so much more powerful than what we read. I think we read that and it's kind of passive. It's like, eh, he knew about him. Like like when we say that, it's like we're familiar. You're familiar with people that you don't even talk to or hang out with ever that you went to high school with 20 years ago because of Facebook, right? I mean, you're familiar with so-and-so's kids. You don't even like so-and-so, but you know what's going on with their kids because you see it on Facebook. This is so much bigger than that. He knew about Timothy and Timothy knew about Paul because they were intimately connected. They had a relationship. They had a a connection. They spent time together. They communicated with each other regularly. I was reading something in a book recently, a book called Turn the Ship Around, and it's uh, written by Lieutenant David Marquette, and he talks about this concept in there called eyeball accountability, and basically what that means is that you are holding people accountable because you literally see what they're doing. And that's what I think of in this context is, is that they would have known what's going on in each other's life because they, they see it because they're interacting with each other regularly. And so Paul and Timothy have a very, very close relationship. And Paul is investing in Timothy's life and he stresses to Timothy to continue on in what he has learned. Look at verses 14 through 15. It says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And from ha- and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, how is it that Timothy has known about this from infancy? I think it's unique to point this out and, and, and maybe camp out on this for just a moment. The reason Timothy knows about the scriptures and he knows about salvation and he knows about Jesus and all that since he was a baby is because people invested in him, specifically his grandmother and his mother. And so I want to stress this for just a second. If you are a mother, father, grandmother, grandfather, are you leaving it up to chance with your kids and your grandkids on whether or not they're going to grow up and know about Jesus? Because see, I think what's happening here is is that Timothy's grandmother and mother didn't leave it up to chance. They said, no, it matters whether or not Timothy grows up and knows about Jesus. We want to make sure that he grows up and has a relationship with God and that he knows the scriptures and that we have taught him. They're not leaving it up to chance. They're not saying, I'm hoping that the youth pastor will take care of it because I don't want to deal with them. I'm hoping that the senior pastor or the worship leader or the show, I hope Debbie will get a handle on them because I don't I don't even know where to begin. You know, we can't as parents and as grandparents, we can't leave it up to chance to somebody else. I mean, we I'm going to say, speak on behalf of Muncie First Church. We are going to do our absolute best. But you have way more influence with your student or your your grand student made that up um, than we do. I mean, statistics show time and time again, you have more time with your your student or your grandchild than we will ever have as the church. And you can't leave it up to chance. You can't hope that a baseball coach or a football coach or a basketball coach or or a gymnastics or volleyball or anything or a teacher even is going to care about whether or not your son or daughter knows about Jesus. Because most likely all they care about is winning the game on Friday night. And that doesn't make them a bad person. That's their priority. Our priority must be that they know Jesus, because no one else will. And I'm not trying to beat up on people who care about sports and things like that, because I think that stuff is awesome, but we have to take it upon ourselves, like Lois and Eunice did for Timothy, to make sure that our children know about Jesus and care about the scriptures. Most people won't. It goes on. I want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Jump back to chapter 1 with me. I want to look at verses 3 through 8. And I'm going to kind of close with this passage. And we're going to kind of break this apart and pull some things out of here. It says this, verse 3, I thank God, this is Paul writing still, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did. With a clear conscience, as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason I am reminded, or <clears throat> for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. I think there are like eight, maybe more, but there's like eight things that I want to point out of this scripture. And I know that seems like a lot. And you're like, oh no, I'm going to go quick. I'm going to go quick. But I think there are eight applications that we see from this text that Timothy and Paul is a part of their relationship, that Paul is investing in Timothy in these eight ways um, through this verse, through these verses we just read. It begins with this. The first one is that he says re- he's remembering him in his prayers. Remember, He's remembering him in his prayers. We see this in verse 3 and verse 6, talking about praying. And in the other one, he says he laid his hands on Timothy and prayed for him. And I would just challenge you with this question. Do you pray for our young people? Do you pray for your grandchildren or your children? Or even if you don't have children or grandchildren that are a part of this church, do you pray for the for the teens and the, and the children and the young adults that go to this church? We need you to pray. Desperately, we need you to pray. And not just... And I'd be with them? Hope it goes well. Pray aggressive prayers for the young adults and the, and the students and the children in this church that God would do amazing things in their life. We have a girl in our youth group right now that told me on Wednesday night, she says, I'm just praying that God would do something ridiculous in my life. I've never heard a student say that in my life. I've never prayed that. I had to walk away and say to myself, You are kind of lame because you should be praying that prayer every day. And she's a junior and she's praying that God do something ridiculous in my life. And we need to pray for her because if God does that, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? You know, we need to pray for our students. The second thing we see is he says he recalls his tears, verse 4. And I think this is Paul's way of simply saying that he has empathy for him. He's having empathy for Timothy. He, he he is caring about what's going on in Timothy's life and he is concerned and he he feels in his heart that there is you know this compassion for Timothy and the things that he's experiencing. And so I would ask you, do you, do you, do you care about what goes on in the life of young people at Muncie First Church? Is that something that you even think about in a given week? Does it con do you, are you concerned with what it takes for for our students or, or your student or or your child to be a Christian in their schools it's challenging we we the things that our students are dealing with it is crazy it is crazy we had some parents praying in our small group this past week about some things that are going on in the life of, of their their teen and, and I I just it breaks my heart to know what they're going through and to think about what Lila and Jocelyn are going to go through when they get there. And it's we we need to care about what they're dealing with. Our hearts should break over that and we should be concerned. The third thing is he says he longs to see you. He wants to spend time with him. Do, do you want to spend time with young people that you encounter in your life? I know, that, you know, maybe you're like, well, eh, they say really weird things you know, they think really weird things. So did you though, right? I mean, all of us, we've all been prone to say really weird things at some point. Some of us still say really weird things. I'm not going to point anybody out, but you say really weird things. We do really weird things. And yet, Paul longs to spend time with Timothy. He wants to see him. And I think that we should have that same burden. We should want to spend time around the young people in our lives. I think that too too often the approach and and mentality within the church is is that young people are just entitled brats. I don't want to be around them. They just just make me mad. No, no, we got to want to spend time with them and be around them, not just for their sake, Not just for us to impart some sort of wisdom in their life, but perhaps maybe they can impart some wisdom in our lives and and we can kind of, you know, suck up some of the passion and excitement that they have. Number four, he says, he's reminded of your faith. Paul Paul says, I'm reminded of your faith, Timothy. And this is his way of encouraging him in verse five. and, And I would just challenge you. If you don't encourage the young people in your life, please start, find a way. Find a way. I mean, there, I, th- I think there may be nothing more uh, amazing that you could do in your life than to go to your son or daughter who's in middle school and just be like, you know what, you're, you're just awesome. I just think you're an awesome kid. Because you know what, they might not hear that at school. They might not have friends, most likely. Even even kids who are super cool probably don't have friends coming up to them and be like, man, you're just really cool. So I'd tell you that today. You know, that's not happening. And what if mom or dad or grandma or grandpa just come in and say, you know what, I just want to tell you, I just love you and I think you're so, so awesome. Those of you who have sons or daughters who are parents, how amazing would it be if you walked into the room one day and just said, you know what, I just think you're a really great dad. You're, you're doing so awesome as a dad or as a mom. I mean, I know for myself, if my parents come and said that to me, that would mean a lot. It would be great encouragement in my life. And I think that's probably true for many of us. Probably some of you who are, you know, you're no longer young, younger parents. You probably would love to hear that no matter what, right? I mean, that would just make you feel amazing. We need to encourage our young people. And then five, it says, he, he said, fan into flame. Fan into flame. This is in verse six, which I think is Paul's way of kind of inspiring him to grow. And, and, I, and I get this image in my head of my grandma who was like a crazy firebug, and she like would like put her shoes on the fire ring and like melt them and, you know, weird stuff like that. She'd always get the fire would be perfect and grandma would go and get a piece of cardboard and start doing that. It's like, grandma, the fire's fine. Quit. She's like, no, it's, it's going to go out. I promise we got to fan that thing into flame, you know, and she would just do that. And I see that in my mind and I think about that in our context. If we would just do that to the young people in our life and they have the passion and that flame is just starting to brew and we would just kind of go over there and just, just kind of fan it in the flame and, and inspire them and encourage them, what could happen? What might they do for the kingdom of God if we would do that? And then three more here, six. He says that we don't have a spirit that is timid but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Which I think this is Paul's way of declaring truth over Timothy and and saying, hey, Timothy, you are an amazing man of God, and I want you to lead with confidence. I want you to not lead lead as as someone who is fearing what's going on, but to lead with confidence and strength and believe that through God all things are possible. You're not leading timid and afraid, You're leading with power and love and self-discipline. And I wonder if we would encourage and fan into flame and if we would declare that kind of truth over the lives of our children and our students and our young people in our church and in our life, what could become of the kingdom of God in Muncie and beyond? What could happen, even in our own lives, if we would start to fan that flame and say, I don't have to have a spirit that's timid. But because of God, I can be I can have a spirit that is of power and love and self-discipline. May we be willing to encourage our young people and in our own life to take some risks for the kingdom of God. Number seven, he says, do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed. This is in verse eight. And this is just, again, another way of kind of challenging him and saying, hey, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of me as a prisoner of the Lord. And I think. This is Paul's way of setting the bar high and saying, Timothy, you can rise up to that challenge. You can do it. You can be the leader that God has called you to be. And I think perhaps one of the greatest failings that we've ever done in the church when it comes to students is that we set expectations way too low. Way too low. The prevailing thought, in fact, among youth ministry leaders and and church leaders in in the world is, is that students want to rise to high expectations, and that time and time and time again, they will if we just set high expectations. And In fact, I think this is even true in, in schools and stuff, is that we, we just don't expect much out of the kids. We're just hoping they'll show up and do what they're told, and that's about it. But may we set high expectations more than just attendance. You know, I, I think one of the expectations that's been true of our church here a lot is um, when it comes to the youth ministry is that they'll all sit over here and that that's an indicator of whether or not the youth group is healthy. And, and I wasn't going to say this, but I feel like I need to say this. And, and, and um, I have not once in the four and a half years that I've been here ever set that as an expectation. In fact, we actually talk quite often that we hope that our students will sit with their families because we want them to worship as a family and gather together. Whether where you sit in this sanctuary is not a representation of whether or not this church is healthy, Right. I mean, if Steve, if you don't sit in that seat every single week, you're not spiritually healthy. That doesn't, that's silly. And so I think that should be true of our students as well. In fact, I think a greater indicator is that we have students like Jared and Joel and Abby and those and many others who actually want to sit with their parents. When I was their age, I couldn't get far enough away from my parents. Let me sit in a parking lot. I will hear it on the radio or something. You know, get me out of here. Might have been a point in my life where I was out back having a cigarette. You never know. I mean, so... All that to say, where we sit doesn't necessarily mean we're healthy. It's how much are we serving? How much are we loving people? Are we rising to the occasion? And lastly, I digress on that a little bit. (laughs) Number eight, he says, join with me. Join with me. In verse eight, it says this idea of Paul saying to Timothy, hey, you know what? Yes, I have gone before you. I probably have more wisdom than you. I have more experience than you. But you know what? We are standing together. We are on the same playing field. There is no one better than another or worse than another. We are on this journey together. And I can learn from you and you can learn from me. And and we can grow this kingdom together. And I think that that is true and should be true of us as a church. Is that we would say no matter how old or how young, we all stand evenly together at the foot of the cross. And we are trying to further the kingdom and reach more people in Muncie and grow as a community of faith. And it's not that, you know, well, they're younger and so they can't. No, no, we are together. Join with me as we stand together and try to reach this community. So I'll ask you this morning, church, what are you doing to invest in young people? What are you doing? What are are we doing? Are you willing to make the investment in young people? Here's what I think it means to invest in young people. I think it simply means, if you could put it in a nutshell, the idea of, of, of fulfilling the mission to reach young, the younger generation with the message of Jesus Christ is simply this. I think it means that we have to be willing to pray for the mission. We have to serve the mission, fund the mission, and be willing to change to further the mission. We have to pray for the mission, serve the mission fund the mission and be willing to change to further the mission are we willing to do that let me let me ask you and i'm not trying to get in your business and we're not going to make you answer out loud so you're you're good but just answer this in your heart do you pray for our young people if you don't please do i beg you please do do, do you serve i think i, I think that we have a belief around here that, that is pretty firm in that if you've gone to church here for any length of time, now if you're new, this is, this is, you get a pass. But if you are a part of it, you call this your church home, then you should, you should be serving in some place, in some capacity. And so many of you, I, even recently, it's been amazing, so many of you stepped up recently and, and said, I want to serve. And, and I think that might be because we you know put the blue card out there, and it's like, hey, let us know, and, and you are, and that's amazing. But if you call this your church home and you don't serve, I challenge you to consider serving in some way. It doesn't even have to be with young people. I think it would be cool if you did, but I mean, I encourage you to consider serving. And then I'd ask, do you give? Now, I know talking about giving gets a a little tense. You can feel it get tense in here, you know, but do you give? and again this is not for if you're if you're new today and you you this you know you've only been coming a little while this is not for you this is for those of you who are in the room that you call this your church home and you've been here for years and years I would challenge you on this and I've talked to Mark about it ahead of time I was like you just want to make sure you're okay with me saying this and he's like you do it because then I don't have to (sighs) and then he went on vacation what a wimp but I would challenge you in this. If you call this your church home and you've gone here for years and years, some of you 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and you don't give to support the mission of this church, why is this your church home? If you can't support it financially, you should really consider finding a place that you can. Because your the Bible says, the Bible is clear, that where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And if you can't invest in the ministries of us trying to reach Muncie here, then your heart's not here. Go find a place where your heart can be and you can invest. Again, I'm not saying leave, get out of here, you know. But, but you gotta, you got to go where you can truly invest, and I would challenge you in that. Make giving a part. Support the ministry. And then lastly, is are you willing to make changes to reach young people? And I think this one is pretty uh, uh, relevant for us and where we're at in the life of our church is that we might be in a place even very soon, if not already, where we have to make changes to accommodate young people and young families. I mean, you know... We want to make sure that when new families walk in the door, they feel welcome, they feel comfortable, they feel at home. It's hard to go to church for the first time. Some of you know that. You're like, man, it's uncomfortable to walk into a church. All those weird people looking at me, and they know I'm new. They knew I was new. They had to have known, you know, and they put out a message. Everybody knows. Look, and you you just feel awkward. And we want to make sure that when new people come here and young people come here, they feel at home. And may that be true of us, church. May we be willing to make some changes or do some things to make sure that, that families, students, and children are welcome. And I think that we do that. I, I do. I'm not trying to beat anybody up, but I think that we, we are on the cusp of maybe changing even more in the, in the coming days. Um, and so I would just challenge you with that. Where, where are you at in that? May it be said of us here is that we were willing to make the investment. I've heard it time and time again among church leaders that the greatest investment you can make in the church is to invest in children, students, and young people. Because as Mark said a couple of weeks ago, the wave of momentum starts with children and student ministry and young people. They get us all fired up and the rest of us kind of come on board and get excited afterwards. And we've got to make that investment. May that be true of us church. We're not going to do anything special this morning to close as far as music or anything, but I just want to pray. And um, if you want to pray specifically for your own student, you're welcome to do that. You can come to the altar. You don't have to. You can do it at your seat. Um, But... I just want to pray as a community of faith for the young people that, that attend here and that, and that are in our community, those that live near us. We, many of us have neighbors, young kids and, and, and students, and maybe we know them, maybe we don't know them. And so if that's true of you, let's, let's just pray together for them. Jesus, there are so many young people in this church. So many young people that are connected to this church or connected to families in this church. And God, I would pray right now that you would just touch those lives. That you would work in those lives. God, be with parents who are raising young kids right now. Kids that are maybe starting school or, or kind of in, in the elementary school phase, God. And, and that's challenging and they're trying to figure out how do I teach them about Jesus and how do I, how do I help them live out their faith and... And all of that, or and God, I pray for those parents in the room who are raising teenagers, teenagers who maybe maybe they're right on the path and they've got it figured out, but there are some maybe in the room right now who are struggling with their with their student, and 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 there's friction at home. God, I pray you would move in that that family, bring peace to that home. Give. Give confidence to those parents and strength to those parents to love their kids in those situations. To have empathy, as Paul did for Timothy. To want to spend time with them, to care for them. God, and I pray for us as a church, those of us who, who, are, who are younger and, and, and older, God, no matter where we fall in that demographic, that we would begin to be passionate about wanting to reach the next generation, and those who are the current generation, the younger people in our in our church right now. That we would feed off of their passion. God, help us to reach Muncie and beyond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, thank you so much for being here today. I really encourage you to be here next week. Um, we have something really special planned. Still talking about students. It's going to be amazing. You will not want to miss. And if you have students who, in your family that weren't here or know some, you know, get them here. Even if you just like pick them up, you know, on your way to church, just snag them and bring them here. They won't want to miss it. Thank you.